JustLiberty.org It's good for you and it's good for me JustLiberty.org JustLiberty.org Hi, this is Amanda Marzullo. And Scott, it's hard not to be reasonably suspicious regarding the rash of snake-related law enforcement news over the last few months. Just consider these examples. In Caldwell County, a man in a dispute with his neighbor bit off a rattlesnake's rattle and released the serpent into his neighbor's RV. An El Paso man was charged with cruelty to animals after stabbing a snake to death during a burglary. That is some talent there, people. In Seguin, a large snake wound its way between a law enforcement officer and a driver pulled over for a traffic stop, inspiring the officer to make a business decision to terminate the stop without approaching the car. A Bee County Sheriff's deputy retrieved a six-foot snake from a bathroom after it crawled out of the toilet. The Colony Police Department rescued a large snake from traffic and then shared a picture on Facebook announcing that it was released in a field, quote, somewhere near your house. A South Texas man decapitated a rattlesnake with a shovel, and then the snake's severed head bit and nearly killed him. Officers in Longview executing a search warrant found seven grams of crack cocaine and a venomous copperhead. In Morgan's Point, a family called authorities upon finding a seven-foot rat snake curled up in the metal grill on their front door. In Beaumont, a man told police that he was stalking his two roommates because God and the snake told him to have sex with them. Why you would need to stalk your roommates to accomplish that is... Is an odd question, yes. Yeah, there's some some things going on there. And and a man in Wichita Falls stormed out of a bathroom, flailing his arms and yelling, I'm a snake, I'm a snake, and he bit an officer. So, Scott, (laughs) should Texans be worried about snakes and that they might rise up against us even before the robots do? I warned Texans that this was a possibility when we elected a lieutenant governor from Slytherin House, but nobody listened. (laughs) This reminds me of the rattlesnake roundup at the Capitol every year, where they bring in a bunch of live rattlers every session and herd them around in the extension. You know, I I have a complaint about those guys. Just one? Just one. It's not about them dousing the ground with gas fumes to get the snakes out, although I'm I'm not a fan of that either. Or that they're bringing venomous snakes into a public area where there are children. Well, that's my concern. I, I consider bringing rattlesnakes into the Texas Capitol completely redundant. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's almost derivative. It's, just, it's, it's barely even a metaphor, really, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know where you really come, from, come back from that. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, we, we've elected the snakes. There's no yeah, reason yeah. to bring more snakes. They are ours. There's enough snakes. <laughs> Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the July 2018 edition of the Reasonably Suspicious Podcast covering Texas criminal justice, politics, and policy. I'm Scott Henson, Policy Director at Just Liberty, here today with our good friend Amanda Marzullo, the Executive Director at the Texas Defender Service. Today, we're discussing the results of Just Liberty's Justice Needs a Platform campaign, how many felonies Texans can commit with an oyster, and whether we need concussion protocols for criminal defense lawyers like they have in the NFL. (laughs) Mandy, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Uh, Actually, our first item here, I'm excited to talk about Just Liberty's efforts with the Democratic and Republican conventions here in Texas. Me too. I've had way too much fun with that. 
First up, let's talk about the campaign you just completed at Just Liberty to install criminal justice reform planks into the platforms of both major Texas political parties. The project was dubbed Justice Needs a Platform, and Just Liberty created a short jingle to promote the brand of the campaign. Why don't we give it a listen? Justice is blind, her hands are full, holding a sword and scales. She has no time for politics, that's why her foes prevail. Today, justice is threatened beyond reasonable doubt. So why not help an old blind lady out? Justice needs a platform, justice needs a platform. Free did I dee, did he do, did he dum. Justice needs a platform. Justice needs a platform. So Scott, Just Liberty was at both the Republican and the Democratic state conventions promoting justice reform in the party platforms. You had some successes at both. Let's talk first about the GOP convention in San Antonio. What justice reform measures made their way into the platform and how was Just Liberty received there? We had an amazing time at the Republican convention. Uh, Just Liberty for both parties had brought forward 16 criminal justice reform resolutions and a total of about 10 of them ended up making it into the GOP platform. Not only did we end up with some of our proposals in the platform planks, but we also made some amazing relationships and, and found new allies promoting those planks at the convention. Um, lots of organizations from the Young Republican Federation who endorsed all 16 of our proposals to the Conservative Coalition Research Institute to the Empower Texans Restore Justice Project. A lot of folks stepped up to help us fight for these proposals at the convention, and those are going to be great relationships to have going forward. Yeah, and in some ways young relationships those are those are relationships with longevity there right that's right those are folks who are going to be there for a while it's not the gray hairs yeah. which which in truth is is often who's on the opposition side within the republican party but but we there really is a generational divide in a lot of ways this is not a democrat or republican issue criminal justice reform in a lot of ways it's a young people versus old people issue so we, we, yeah. we found that really in both parties at both conventions. That was very much true. So there were a number of things that, that I think folks might find surprising that got into the GOP platform. For example, they endorsed raising the age of adult responsibility from 17 to 18. This was also in the Democratic platform. Texas is one of only four states that still charges 17-year-olds as adults, mm -hmm. and they held an excellent debate at the platform committee. There was discussion about brain science and the new research about childhood brain development and, and a very nuanced discussion about this topic. And they ended up siding with raising the age. Yeah, that is interesting and exciting. It is exciting. And I think most folks would not necessarily imagine that's how that debate would go, but it was something where it really seemed like a no-brainer to most of the, the folks on the platform committee. It was really not that controversial. Another one that I think might surprise folks is the Republican Party endorsed a platform to decriminalize low-level possession of marijuana to make mm -hmm. it a civil penalty with a maximum $100 fine for possessing up to an ounce of marijuana. I would not, if you had asked me 
personally before this, if that would have made it into the platform, I would have told you you were crazy. That was a relatively uncontroversial plank compared to some <laughs> of these others. Was was cost a big part of this discussion or was it? You know, I think kind of, I mean, we're, I'm assuming that a lot of these people were like, oh, well, I love my pot. I don't want the government getting between me and it. I think in general, there was some sort of small L libertarian element of, oh, we don't want to pay to arrest these people. But more than that, I think that there was a first order assumption that the war on drugs is a complete failure, that that the war on drugs simply is not working, that nothing we're doing is making things better. And so let, let's take our foot off the gas. That seemed to be the overarching sentiment, really. And, and you also saw folks endorse expanding use of medical marijuana in the party platform, which, again, not necessarily sort of your top-of-mind Republican Party platform topic, but it was relatively non-controversial there at the convention. Now, that's interesting, too, because the theoretical underpinning of the war on drugs not being successful has greater implications beyond just marijuana. has huge implications. It, it really does. A- another one that made it in, there was an, a proposal in the Sandra Bland Act um, in 2017 that actually got pulled out on the Senate side that would have uh, eliminated most arrests for Class C misdemeanors, for these ticket-level offenses where the maximum punishment is only a fine. Just like Sandra Bland was arrested for failure to signal a lane change, and they ended up larding on these additional charges. But that was the original thing the, the officer, the trooper, arrested her for. Well, the Republican Party, for the second convention in a row, included in its platform a plank that says we should not arrest people for Class C misdemeanors at all. And this, again, would be a big change. In Harris County, in Houston, 11% of all arrests countywide are for Class C misdemeanors as the primary charge. So this would reduce arrests and jail intake quite a lot. It's exciting. They endorsed in the Republican platform eliminating the driver responsibility surcharge, which you and I have worked on together for years and years mm-hmm. and and that's an amazing development they endorsed a ban on civil asset forfeiture they want to require a criminal conviction to seize assets or rather to, to forfeit assets i should say yeah. and uh and that would be a big big difference that would be huge right now the government can forfeit your assets based on a preponderance of the evidence mm-hmm. whereas for a criminal conviction you have to be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a big difference in that threshold. Yeah, that it would require the prerequisite. But it also, you have a right to an attorney in a criminal proceeding. You don't necessarily have a right to a lawyer when they're taking your property. That's right, because they're they're charging your stuff, technically, (laughs) not you. The, the, The style on the case actually says, you know, state of Texas versus... You know, 1995, you know, Chevy Eldorado or whatever it is. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not you on the on the case. So that's a big step towards justice there. Really is a big step. The Republican Party endorsed limiting militarization of police and in particular putting limits and additional transparency on departments that receive military equipment from the federal 1033 program. They want to make sure that city councils actually have a formal vote before police departments get this material. And finally, one of the ones that I think is my favorite 
is they endorsed ending the practice of arresting people for non-payment of traffic ticket debt. <laughs> the Republican Party wants to start using regular collections practices when someone doesn't pay their traffic tickets instead of having these warrant roundups where we send the cops out to arrest them. These are some pretty decent big proposals that are they're they're not they're not chicken feed they're not small things no no i mean together really wait it would be a big step towards minimizing a criminal justice footprint on basically people who are impoverished that's right a lot of these are targeting what are essentially poverty offenses failure to pay your insurance gets you onto the surcharge list and then you get your driver's license knocked off and it's it's they're all connected in that way you're right they they all cycle i mean it's it's almost like having an avalanche that's right it's a criminalization of poverty issue in essence yeah and an ongoing one so that's exciting You also participated on the Democratic side, which I think worked a bit differently. So what happened there? So on the Republican side, they used these traditional processes for creating the platform where you bring a resolution to the precinct convention the night of your primary. And then from there, it goes to the county or the Senate district convention and then on up to the state convention convention. And these resolutions that come up through the process essentially are what become the platform. Um, on the Democratic side, they threw that process out. That's how platforms in both parties have been done for probably a hundred years for certainly generations, mm-hmm. my well past my entire lifetime. Um, but on the Democratic side, they decided they wanted a more a uh, coherent document. A lot of times when you have the resolutions create your platform like that, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. You mm-hmm. read it and it's these one sentence statements that don't seem to connect one another or have an overarching yeah. theme necessarily. Um, and uh, so the Democrats actually um, started from scratch and wrote a seven page uh, uh more comprehensive, more uh, thematized platform that a candidate could really look at and say, okay, what are the issues I need to care about and understand where they should engage. And, And I think that it was really kind of an impressive result, honestly, when you read start to finish everything that's in that Democratic platform wish list. It is one of the better statements of what would real significant criminal justice reform look like. Mm -hmm. So I I, I thought that was a a great exercise for them to have gone through. At the same time, while theirs is the more comprehensive platform, Mm -hmm. we're in a two-to-one Republican state. So (laughs) so the truth is the Republicans are the more important platform. But it's, it's impressive that the Democrats are thinking about it at that level now. Yeah, and drawing attention to it. You know, traditionally, they've been in charge of the committees that criminal justice leg- legislation passes through at the Texas legislature. So they do wield a lot of influence at the state level, even if they are the minority party. That's true. So building off of the concept that, you know, what the Dems think doesn't always matter that much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what made it onto both platforms? Where, where are the key intersections here? Well... You're right. The Republican platform is really sort of the the controlling variable, right? Because they embraced fewer reforms and they're the ones who are the majority party. 
so most of the ones that we talked about that the Republicans did, um, also there's a version of it in the Democratic platform. Uh, they both endorsed raising the age. On marijuana, the Republicans endorsed decriminalization, reducing it to a civil penalty. The Democrats endorsed full-blown legalization the way we now have in nine <laughs> states and, and uh, in District of Columbia. And so they went further. But the irony there is, and I find this very interesting, at the legislature, the only person ever to propose full-blown legalization was a Republican, David Simpson. <laughs> and, yeah. and the furthest a Democrat has ever gone is a proposal to create a civil penalty with a, with a fine, which was Joe Moody um, uh, and his bill last session. Well, in the platforms, those are reversed. The Democrats yeah. have endorsed full-blown legalization which was a Republican legislator's proposal. And the Republicans have endorsed almost precisely what Joe Moody's bill was. So regardless, that means that there's some room for collaboration, some room for bipartisanship there. And last but not least, I mentioned the debtor's prison platform plank and eliminating arrests for classy misdemeanors and eliminating arrests for classy misdemeanor debt. Both those things made it into both party platforms and mm -hmm. really creates a lot of momentum on topics that already were being discussed at very high levels in the 2017 session. And so I think that gives us a, a, a nice platform to, 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 work, off to of. work off of as we head into 2019. That's exciting. Justice is blind, the hands are full. Next up, our segment, Death in Texas, covering capital punishment in the Lone Star State. Judge Susan Reed, the former tough-on-crime district attorney in San Antonio, whom voters forcibly retired in 2014, declared a mistrial in the case of Brian Flores after the lead defense attorney suffered a concussion. Every American sports fan knows about concussion protocols in the NFL that require concussed players to sit out, but most of us are less familiar with what should happen when an attorney suffers a head injury. Mandy's group, the Texas Defender Service, were consultants on the case. Mandy, what happened here, and why did Judge Reed declare a mistrial? Well, so at the outset, I think it's important to note that Brian Flores is charged with capital murder, and the state is seeking the death penalty against him. And so what that means is that under Texas law, he's required to have two attorneys represent him, one of whom has death penalty experience, so that it's not their first rodeo. They know all of the procedures that are specific to a death penalty trial. And that lead attorney is the one who had the concussion. Exactly. So his lead attorney passes out, suffers a concussion, sort of two days into jury selection, which can take a very long time. And the judge ref initially refused 
refused to continue the case. So, you know, she did continue the case for a few days to allow um, Mr. Camara, Brian Flores's lead attorney, some time to come some time to recover, but as a lot of people will know, and as the NFL recognizes, it can take at least three months to recover from a head injury. You know, three or four days is simply not enough time. Um, so what happened was is that the proceedings continued to occur without his lead attorney there, which led um, his defense team to move for a mistrial. And eventually the judge recognized that this is a case that's not it's going to come back no matter what at that point right well and if you don't get it right at the trial level if you go forward with so many problems there's so many problems with having a a defense attorney who's mentally deficient holding your your jury selection and we have already have these death penalty cases that take decades on appeal yeah. And it's because you had some screw up that they didn't realize at the trial level. Well, why would you go forward knowing that that's the case? It's it would be irresponsible really. I'm I'm glad she went ahead and did it. It's irresponsible. I'm I was surprised that this was contested actually. And also is that the you know the Bear County DA's office was challenging the mistrial. They did not want it. They did not even want to continue the case. And that I think is irresponsible. If you're, if you're prosecuting someone, you want to have a conviction that you can stand behind. You can't stand behind a process that's lopsided, where there is no one there on the side of the defense. And just having one lawyer isn't enough under Texas law, and it isn't enough under our Constitution. Next up, a game called Odds Makers in which Mandy and I estimate the odds that future events will occur. Federal District Judge Lee Rosenthal issued her final adjusted order in the Harris County bail litigation, establishing a new pretrial detention policy for Harris County and a new constitutional floor for jurisdictions in the Fifth Circuit regarding decisions on pretrial detention. Now, either the legislature must step in to create a new system based on risk rather than the ability to pay, or else Texas 254 counties will remain adrift, each fashioning their own systems until the day they're sued, as has already happened in Dallas and Galveston counties. So, Mandy, after it failed last year, what are the odds that the legislature can pass bill reform in 2019? Well, so as you noted, every bill is more likely not to pass than it is to pass. And in this case, bail legislation has a lot of opposition from the bond industry, which gives a copious amount of money. An amazing amount of money. To, that rabbit hole goes deep. <laughs> yeah. And, and to the right people in, in our state capital. They are very strategic in their use of funds. So there's a lot of opposition there that it, that's not readily apparent. And, you know, advocates have been fighting for bail reform in Texas for a very long time. That said, I think, I think the key stakeholder here that really needs to come to the table are the counties. If the counties come forward and they say, hey, we can't be left on our own 
this is a monumental task. It's impossible for, you know, particularly small counties to come up with their own matrix for releasing people. What we need is state level guidance that is constantly monitored and perhaps even tweaked on a regular basis, depending on the data. That I think would be enough to tip the scales towards passage. But barring that, I, I think that the advocates still have a, an uphill battle here. Right. I, I really think that if you're really placing honest odds, the most likely outcome is that bail reform does not go through and all the counties just get sued one by one. And we look up two years from now and there may be 30, 40, 50, 60 different county level lawsuits. And we already know the outcome of all those lawsuits because the Fifth Circuit has already ruled in the Harris County yeah. litigation. And so that's the absurd part to me is that, yes, you can totally see the chain of events where bail bondsmen kill the bill. Yeah. And so things go forward willy nilly and we end up with lots of bail litigation. Mm -hmm. That is the most absurd and stupid outcome. <laughs> it's the, the biggest waste of time and I money am, and am, energy. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Oh my gosh, it makes absolutely no sense to make us go through all of that before we, we get to what is already a relatively inevitable outcome. And so I think it would be ridiculous if that's what happens. And yet I think it is probably the most likely outcome if well. I had to guess. <laughs> judge in Tennessee declared the state's law revoking driver's licenses for traffic ticket debt unconstitutional. In Texas, House Corrections Committee Chairman James White had a bill in 2017 to enact the same policy. So what are the odds that the federal courts will make license revocation for debt unconstitutional? What are the odds that the Texas legislature will end the practice next year? And what are the odds that the status quo continues? Oh, gosh. Well, back to our, our cynical theme the odds are almost certainly the best that the status quo continues, I'm, I'm sad to say. But that said, this is an amazingly exciting development. This case in Tennessee really is cracking open a nut that nobody has tried to, to smash before. And if it is upheld, if it goes through the appellate process and this is where we wind up, I think most states are revoking driver's licenses for non-payment of traffic ticket debt. This is, this is going to have massive national implications if that's the way it ends up going. As far as what are the odds that the Texas legislature will end the practice next year? Again, always have to say you're, you're pessimistic and yet. We really saw, especially at the GOP convention, a lot of concern about average people getting wrapped up in traffic ticket debt or these driver mm -hmm. responsibility surcharges and not being able to pay and how that harms their ability to keep a job, to take care of their kids, to mm -hmm. really, you know, maintain their basic responsibilities in life. And I have been surprised at how much those issues were top of mind to some of the folks we talked to, especially at the GOP convention. This issue has some juice. I think revamping how we deal with traffic ticket debt and what happens when you don't pay it and 
whether it's okay to have these warrant roundups like people who owe traffic mm -hmm. ticket debt or cattle that we round up and herd them somewhere. We may be in a moment where people are open to a less dehumanizing approach to all of this, to a more thoughtful way to handle it. And, and so I'm, I'm very hopeful, even if I'm not ready to put winning odds yet <laughs> on that topic. Well, good. Now it's time for our rapid fire segment we call The Last Hurrah. Mandy, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, moving right on in. The Supreme Court ruled in its Carpenter decision that the government must secure a search warrant to access cell phone location data under the Fourth Amendment. So, Scott, what are the implications for Texas? That thank God we do not have <laughs> to fight over this bill anymore. <laughs> Hours and months of your life are back. Yes, Scott. exactly. I have been part of a uh, group of folks that had pushed for a warrant requirement in Texas for a number of years. Mm -hmm. We had never been able to get it over the hump. Now this means that that's not necessary anymore. The, the Supreme Court has said that the Fourth Amendment requires this for everyone. Fourteenth Amendment says it's required by the states. We're done in Texas. Don't have to mess with it. Thank heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick thinks Texas should eliminate subsidies to lure video game companies to Texas because he thinks violent video games contributed to the mindset of the Santa Fe school shooter. Mandy, are video games the problem? Uh, n no. I mean, you know, I, I can't speak specifically to the mindset of the Santa Fe school shooter, but a lot of the data on this actually shows that individuals who, you know, enjoy violent video games and who enjoy even violent movies are actually engaged in voluntary incapacitation, which means that they're not out engaging in violent behavior. They're sitting on their couch. That's right. The best evidence says that the guy who's spending hours and hours playing Grand Theft Auto is not out stealing my car while he's doing that, and so there's less crime. It yeah. makes or, a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah, and doesn't know how to steal your car. That's true, too. Completely de-skilling our youth has actually kept them from some crime as well. Maybe that, that's not also an unattended consequence. Crime takes practice, Scott. Uh, the Texas Legislative Council counted the number of felonies on books in Texas and came up with 749, including three felonies you can commit with an oyster. Scott, is this the right count? Okay, this is, this is kind of crazy. We now have had... Different estimates come up with so many different numbers for both the totals and for the oysters. In Texas, you can either commit 3, 7, 11, 13, or 16 felonies with an oyster, depending on who's counting them. <laughs> and, uh, and here in the Legislative Council document, when they the, of the three felonies, two of them included multiple offenses under the category of felonies that were regulatory offenses. So I think this may be a low ball. Yeah. Um, well, I, mean, I think some would argue that three felonies involving a single oyster might be too many. I, it's amazing how many felonies you can commit with an oyster. Really, it's a, it's a, it's a, rolling, a rolling number thing. I mean, it's, it's raw food, but... <laughs> well, the real issue here is that there are so many felonies, it is impossible to count them. There are so many felonies that no two people looking at them can say there's this number or this number. 
we have this incredibly wide range. The Legislative Council said 749. The Texas Public Policy Foundation a few years ago said 1,700. Uh, the Board of Pardon and Parole says it's more than 2,600. And so, really, we just don't know, and I find it just hysterical that we don't know. On, on, I, I suppose there are policy implications as to why it's a problem. Mostly, I just kind of giggle over it. <laughs> well, me too, apparently. <laughs> All right. We're out of time, but we'll try and do better the next time. Until then, I'm Scott Henson with Just Liberty. And I'm Amanda Marzillo with the Texas Defender Service. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. We'll be back next month with another episode of the Reasonably Suspicious Podcast. Until then, keep fighting for criminal justice reform. It's the only way it's going to happen. And shout-outs to Jason Vaughn, Faith Boosie, Charles Blaine and State Rep. Jason Isaac for their help on the platform at the State GOP Convention. We had a lot of fun working with y'all. Thanks a lot. Justice is blind, her hands are full, holding a sword and scales. She has no time for politics, that's why her foes prevail. Justice needs a platform. Justice needs a platform. 